Okay, hello everyone. This is a very uh, unusual way to do church today. Uh, I know many of you will be in your different community groups around the city, or maybe just watching this with some friends or by yourself online. Uh, I'm glad that you've tuned in. Um, and as you guys know, we're in the middle of this coronavirus, so we don't know how much longer we're going to be doing this on Sundays, but we hope that this will uh, serve you all the same as we carry on. So today we're going to carry on in Daniel, where we've been going through over the last few months at Liberty Church, and we're in Daniel chapter 8, which just like this unusual season, Daniel found himself in a very unusual season as an exile in Babylon. And in chapter 8, he has a very unusual dream. So what we're going to do is, rather than me read the whole chapter, if in your groups or by yourself, if you just read the chapter together, uh, maybe one of you could get a Bible out and read it through, and then pray, and then we will get back to looking at it together. So maybe if you just want to press pause on your video, and welcome back. I hope that worked. So Daniel in this story receives this terrifying, disturbing vision of the future, of the future, what's going to happen in a few hundred years' time from where he is in his point of history to the people of Israel. And perhaps what makes this story even more disturbing is that we can now see from our point in history, we can look back and know that what is predicted in this story, it happens. It actually happens. This is an accurate warning to Daniel of what's going to happen to the Jewish people in the future. And this, as you noticed in the story, there are various animals that appear. Uh, and the main character is this little horn that comes out in this story. And this little horn represents... Uh, a, a ruler who is uh, named Antiochus, uh, Antiochus IV. Uh, his father was Antiochus the Great, and he took over. You might not have heard of him, but you perhaps have heard of the phrase of drawing a line in the sand. Uh, and that phrase comes from his life, where uh, a, a, a Roman envoy drew a line around him on the sand and made him bow uh, in honor of the Roman Empire, which he did. And up to, up to probably the point of the Holocaust in, in the Second World War, this ruler was the most brutal oppressor of the Jewish people. He was a very evil man. And he called himself Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He uh, wanted people to worship him. And whenever as he conquered different nations, as he became the ruler over different peoples, he did whatever he could to crush their religions and make them instead to worship him and his gods. Although he was nicknamed Epiphanes, uh, or nicknamed by himself, other people nicknamed him, probably not to his face, uh, Apomenes, which means maniac, because he was a maniac. He was very brutal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you uh, a, a quick excerpt from a book which Brandon is going to pass to me now. His hand will just appear in shot. The magic of cinema for you. Thank you, Brandon. 
So let me just read this story about this man. It says in, in uh, BC 167, he captured Jerusalem and he forbade any sacrifices or services in the temple. He banned the Sabbath, the law, and circumcision on pain of death. He ordered the temple to be soiled with pig's flesh. On the 6th of December, the temple was consecrated as a shrine to the state god, Olympian Zeus, the very abomination of desolation. A sacrifice was made to him, the god-king, probably in his presence at the altar outside the Holy of Holies. The temple was filled with riot and reveling by Gentiles who dallied with harlots, fornicating in the holy places. Those who practiced the Sabbath were burned alive or suffered a gruesome Greek import crucifixion. An old man perished rather than eat pork. Women who circumcised their children were thrown with their babies off the walls of Jerusalem. The Torah was torn to shreds and burned publicly. Everyone found with a copy was put to death. So this man uh, brutally, thank you, brutally oppressed the Jewish people, as that story tells in quite a horrific, horrible, horrible way. And God's people through history have faced persecution, through redemptive history, that is through the story of the Bible. You see again and again, you see Cain kills Abel. You see that Israel are oppressed by Pharaoh when they're in Egypt. You see in the book of Judges, they're given into the hands of Midian and face oppression. Even in this book of Daniel, we've already met several kings, including Nebuchadnezzar, who who marched into Jerusalem and again oppressed and brutally attacked the Jewish people and brought many of them into exile. And the Bible speaks of not just this uh, oppression by evil rulers in the past, but speaks about a final end-time persecutor, uh, an antichrist who will come at the last hour. It talks about in the book of 1 John. And in many ways, this evil king we discover in this story he kind of prefigures, he kind of looks ahead to this final end time antichrist. And all through history, in the Bible history, in history today, we see many people who, who kind of exhibit this kind of evil rulership almost as antichrists in themselves. And that means that as believers in Jesus, we face persecution. Um, and often that's a very real persecution that many believers all around the world, even today, will face uh, the punishment of perhaps even death for what they believe. Or they may be exiled from their families or for their communities if they declare that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And for us, for most of you guys watching at home, Persecution probably doesn't feel very real to you. It probably doesn't feel like it's on the menu for you. It feels like that's stories from history books from faraway countries. But increasingly in the society that we live in, in the Western world today, Christians are seen not just as irrelevant and dull and boring as perhaps in previous generations, but today we're seen sometimes even is as extreme, perhaps even dangerous, because what we believe often conflicts with 
the prevailing worldview, the prevailing beliefs of the society around us. So we may face some persecution, even in the city that we live in. But all of us, we might not face a kind of a real earthly persecution, but all of us in different ways will face a spiritual persecution. Remember, if you were with us last week, we were talking about this apocalyptic literature, which this part of Daniel uh, uses lots of. And we were talking about how that is a, often like a metaphor to explain something which we can't see but is very real. And all of us in our lives will face a spiritual attack, will face persecution, whether real that we can see or something that comes to us more internally. And all of it comes from evil. There is an unseen but very real enemy. The New Testament talks about there's a lawless one, like this Antichrist, who is already at work amongst us, ready trying to cause destruction and chaos. But yet, as God's people, we can, we can know how to respond. Because you might ask at this point of this story, why, why does Daniel need to know this? Because at the end of the chapter, it seems to crush him. He's, he's quite shocked by what he's, he's dreamt about. You know, what's the point for us? Why do we need to know this? Well, later in the book of Daniel, it kind of gives us a bit of a reason, even for this whole book of Daniel existing, that it says, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That's why Daniel was warned that in future generations, the people of God, when they faced persecution, could stand firm and where needed could take action. And that's why this book is relevant to us today, because it reminds us that often we need to, uh, in particular seasons of our life, know what it is to, to stand firm. As believers in Jesus, we can, first of all, be resilient. We've been talking about that a lot in this series, and you probably, perhaps you're bored of us saying that, because we keep coming back to this theme again and again. But it's because we need to hear it. Has there ever been more of a season in our lives, in the history of the church, where we need to know what it is to stand firm in God? Even the events of the last few weeks, even of the last few days. As a people, we, know, we need to know what it means to stand firm in God. It says in 2 Corinthians that we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, that we're perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And there's many people around us, even this week, who will be feeling lots of those emotions, perplexed, perhaps even struck down, hard-pressed, in despair, but yet what our city needs is a whole army, a people of believers, followers of Jesus who choose to, amidst so much fear and anxiety, who choose to, to be a non-anxious, faithful presence in our city. To know what it is to love the vulnerable and those who are in need around us, 
you might in the coming weeks need our help and support or need a friendly neighbor to knock on the door and check that they're okay who in our workplaces and amongst our friends need people who are just going to cling on to the hope we have in God and not be thrown around by all the different stories that we might hear in the news. Because that's what we find with Daniel, that in the final verse, it says that Daniel was overcome and he lay sick for some days. But then he says, then I rose and went about the king's business. Often that's what it means for us to be believers, that we rise up and we go about the business of the king. We go about a life of following and serving Jesus, no matter what's happening around us. As followers of Jesus, we get to live faithfully in the present, whatever the present looks like, but we wait in hope for the future that God's called us to. There's a wonderful story I was reading just the other day of a, a man who I'll probably pronounce his name wrong, but a Russian called Antolay Filosevich Silin, who that's completely the wrong pronunciation of his name. But he came a believer in Jesus during the Second World War when he was in a German prisoner of war camp. He came across some books and started reading about Jesus. Um, spent most of his life in prison, either in Germany or later in the Russian gulags. Uh, uh, when the, the communists were in power in Russia. And Brandon, do you want to pass me that other book? Let me read a story from his life. Thank you. There's a story of him where a friend of his talks to him about what it might be for him to be released from prison. He says before the war, Antelay had graduated from a teacher's college where he'd specialised in literature. Like me, he now had about three years left before his release to a place of banishment. His only training was as a teacher of literature in schools. It seemed rather improbable that ex-prisoners like us would be allowed into schools. But if we were, what then? I won't put lies into children's heads. I shall tell the truth to the children about God and the life of the Spirit. And his friend replies, but they'll take you away after the first lesson. And he lowered his head and answered quietly, let them. Thank you, Brandon. And that's, I love that story of just his determination that he wouldn't be silenced for what he believed, that he was going to stand firm and be resilient whatever persecution came his way. And we can be resilient believers and also God's people can, we can trust his timing. We can trust the timing of our God. You may have noticed in this story, in verse 13, a question appears. It says, how long, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering and the transgression that makes desolate? And the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And that's a question that often arises for believers. You'll find that question again and again in the, the Psalms. That heart cry that often comes from us of how long, God? And that's maybe the season that you feel that you're in right now. Maybe there's a season of suffering or pain that you're working through. 
a season of challenge, and it feels like it's, there's no end in sight, that it's going on forever. And the cry that you keep coming to God with is, how long? How long should I endure this? How long must I walk through this challenge, this pain, this season? Even, even as we think about this coronavirus, probably lots of you are asking that question. You know, when will I get to go back to work? How long will this last? What's going to happen to my finances, to my health? How long must we endure this season? When can we meet again as a church? How long? And the answer he's given here is, is cryptic in verse 14. It talks about 2,300 evenings and mornings, uh, which isn't, isn't a random number. That actually uh, added up to the amount of time of the oppression of this evil king. But I would say don't get too hung up on the meaning of these numbers because often people will take the numbers in Daniel and in Revelation and come with all sorts of different meanings. And often people will try and predict the, when the, the, the end is going to come, when it's going to be the end of humanity. There have been different people through history who've put a date on it that, you know, Thursday the 14th of whenever, 1973, the world is going to end. But then the date passes and obviously that hasn't happened. But people often try and do that. But the reason I think this date is here, the reason that we can read 2,300 and, and the reason that's there for us is actually to give us comfort. It's to give us comfort. This would have been a comfort for Daniel to know this and for the Jews as they read this story to know this. Because God wants Daniel and he wants his people and he wants us to know that there's an end in sight. That any persecution that comes, any suffering that we walk through, is all under God's sovereignty. He's in control of it, and he sets the limits. He sets the times. He knows what we can endure. He knows how much we can take, and he sets a limit to it. So we can trust God that whatever we're working through, that it's in his perfect timing. That there'll be an end that we will come to in time and also God's people can finally we can know his final victory because there's a wonderful gospel turning point in this chapter when in verse 25 it talks about this evil ruler rising up against even the prince of princes. It's talking about him rising up against God. And he does because he declares himself as God manifest. He's putting himself on the, a pedestal next to God. But then it says that he shall be broken, but by no human hand. That we need divine interve intervention to come and take out this evil ruler. And that's what happens in the story. And that's the great hope that we can cling on to, that the evil ruler, this antichrist, this lawless one that's come to stand against his people and any, any manifestation of that that appears in the future, that they will see an end. It says in 1 John 2, children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, 
so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. We see many challenges to our faith. This man of lawlessness that Paul talks about is at work. He's trying to declare himself even as God over your life. He's trying to call you into all sorts of idolatry and false worship to draw your heart away. And even Jesus, he faced himself uh, a challenge, many challenges to himself. Even an antichrist that appears in his story, King Herod, who right at the beginning of Jesus' life seeks to destroy the child. But yet we know that Jesus will, one day he will come again, that the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. That one day all the evil will finish, that there'll be an end to it all, that the evil that stands against us will be finally and decisively crushed. But yet even now we can know victory, God's victory already. It talks about in 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus achieved for us in his death and resurrection. He destroyed the works of the devil. Now, our present is, is incomplete. The world we live in is full of suffering, of contradictions, of confusions. But human history is a, it's a conquered chaos that Jesus has conquered over the chaos around us. And amidst the chaos, any clash of empires, there is one ultimate purpose which is being worked out and that's the kingdom of God that's broken into the world and that's the real meaning of history is only ever found in God's kingdom that even now through his church he's building his kingdom on the earth that through his death and resurrection that the devil has been defeated that the lawless one that any antichrist figure that comes against us has been defeated and one day will be finally put to death forever. One day he will usher in his perfect kingdom. Our suffering will be cut short and not by any human hand, but only by the power of Jesus. Let me pray and then we can finish. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive today. Even as we watch this in online and in our community groups around the city, it feels very different from a normal Sunday gathering. But we know, Holy Spirit, that that can't stop you from being at work. So I pray right now that you would minister powerfully into our hearts, that you'd give us courage to stand firm and be resilient that you'd help us to know that your timing is perfect that whatever any of us are walking through any fear or anxiety we're feeling because of the season we live in or other pressures or suffering that are crushing us down that we know that even though we are struck down we can't be destroyed that we can stand on you jesus that your timing for our lives is perfect and we can hold on to the knowledge of your wonderful victory for us 
in Christ Jesus. And that through that, we're seeing your church and your kingdom established and that all of the ultimate meaning of history is now only found in you and in your plans and purposes. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful grace in our lives, that you've called us to be part of this wonderful kingdom. Despite everything we have done or said or thought, you've called us to be part of your family. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. A few announcements just to keep you all aware of. First of all, uh, it was our plan that when we gathered today uh, that we were going to take a gift day together. We showed a video a few weeks ago. We were giving into the wider family of churches that we're part of as we're planting churches um, in Berlin and in Ottawa and in Belfast and in Bristol and other places as well. Um, but what we've decided to do is to actually postpone that gift thing because we want to do it together and celebrate that as a family together. So we'll postpone that until we're meeting together again. Um, I guess the second thing to say is that we're not entirely sure what the future holds in terms of when we'll be able to meet together again. So we'll just ask for your patience as we figure that out. Um, and just we're not quite sure what we're going to be doing on Sundays going forward as well. But we will keep you updated as things progress.